Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 25 of the Granite Cornerstone podcast. Joining me this evening, we have uh, Brother John Glover. John, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing very well, thanks, Tim. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Uh, also joining us, we have Scott Newberry. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Always good to be here, Tim. Hey, John. Hey, Tim. Scott. Joining our panel of usual hosts, our last host of the evening is Chris Busby. Chris, how you doing? Hey, brother. Just fine. How are you? Doing very well. Uh, so tonight is uh, going to be a little bit uh, different. We're not going to be just talking amongst the four of us. We have a special guest joining us this evening, and it is my pleasure to uh, bring to the Granite Cornerstone podcast uh, the most worshipful grandmaster, the most worshipful grand lodge of the ancient and honorable fraternity of free and accepted masons in the state of New Hampshire, most worshipful brother, Daniel Richard Hotchkiss. Most worshipful, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, right worshipful, and uh, you've been practicing that introduction. I can tell. I absolutely have, um, as as I have mentioned before. I don't often get the opportunity to to give that introduction because generally I'm following the district deputy grandmaster around. So uh, it was my pleasure to do it, and, and it's our pleasure to have you here, grandmaster. So thank you for joining us. And and John and Chris and Scott, great to see you all. Thank you, good to see you, grandmaster. Good to see you. So as regular viewers of the podcast uh, are aware, we have had the past two grandmasters of the city of New Hampshire on this podcast in some capacity. Our uh, very first season, one of the things that we had going on was um, we had Most Worshipful Brother Ken Clay on, along with two grandmasters, uh, one from uh, Rhode Island and one from Massachusetts. Last season, we had uh, Most Worshipful Brother uh, David Collins on. Um, with other members of the Grand Line. This is really the first time we've gotten the opportunity to speak to just the Grand Master um, about his role and, and sort of how how that office operates. And in a way, especially, I think that not all of the Brethren are going to be familiar with. So we're kind of here to learn a little bit about what it means uh, for you, Dan, to be Grand Master and, and to, um, to fill that role for the state of New Hampshire. So Grandmaster, uh, does that sound sound like a good plan? Sounds like a very good plan. I look forward to it. Excellent. Um, one of the first things I wanted to bring up, honestly, was I was with uh, your secretary yesterday, secretary to the Grandmaster Worshipful Brother Dave Walters, and we were talking. And this was a social event that it, that was going on, so Dave and I were there socially and, and just you know chatting and. Uh, I was talking, I mentioned that you were going to be on the podcast. I asked if it was on the Grandmaster's calendar and, and we started talking about the calendar and he showed me your calendar. Um, and I had another brother who was a brother from Massachusetts who was with us yesterday and he said, you know, that that's a job that I just don't get. You've got to be retired. You've got to be doing all these things. And uh, most worshipful, you are not retired. You are a working man just, just like the rest of us here. Um, I think the Biggest question I have, and the one I want to really get into, is how do you manage to do everything that you have to do as Grandmaster, right? Never mind the minutia of running the Grand Lodge, but the travel, all of these things, while also maintaining you know, a full-time job. I know that the last few Grandmasters have all been working guys, but you're the first one we've really gotten the opportunity to talk to about it. Yeah, it's certainly a balancing act, and, and I'm very fortunate to have an extremely supportive employer. Um, and in fact, um, when I was elected as junior grand warden, um, you know, obviously I made some assumptions that I was going to continue on that path, but 
I had a conversation with them six plus years ago to say, this is coming and these are the types of things that um, you know, I'm going to need some time off for. Um, and they've been extremely supportive in that role. Uh, and in fact, for, for a number of years, uh, pre-COVID, quite honestly, uh, they were allowing us to, to use the conference room at my office for some of our meetings. Um, so as I said, it's, I'm very fortunate to have a, an employer that's very supportive of, of what I do outside of, of the office. Uh, and I'm also fortunate that I have the opportunity to work remotely several days a week. Uh, I do not have to be physically be in the office. Uh, so that gives me a little bit more flexibility, particularly if I have to leave a little bit early to, to attend an event somewhere. Um, so I, like I said, it's, it's been a, it's certainly been a journey and it's certainly going to be a challenge going forward, uh, just to make sure that, you know, all the work is still done in a timely manner. Uh, and then I'm still servicing, uh, the office of grandmaster appropriately. So, you know, one of the, one of the things that kind of brought this up, obviously, is the amount of travel that you do. And, and I'd like to know, you know, when you were coming through the line and, and certainly as you were approaching the end of your term as deputy grandmaster, having been elected, you've got that, you know, six month or so period between your election and, and your installation. Did you have an idea of what your schedule was going to look like? You've been all over the place. You've been in, in Canada at least once. You've been to multiple New England states. You've been to Demolay events, rainbow events. Uh, you've been you've been doing a lot of things. Was that sort of an inkling that you had coming into it? And what did you th what, what have you thought so far over the last two months that you've been in this position? Yeah, certainly the first two months have been a little bit of a whirlwind. Um, there were a couple special events thrown in there that aren't you know normally on the calendar. Uh, but certainly, as deputy grandmaster and coming up through the line, you have a general sense of of some of these you know annual communications that you would be attending and get invited to. Um, and because we're all working, you know, fortunately I've had the opportunity. It's been a little slower at work. Uh, I'm kind of out of my real busy season at this point, uh, being an accountant, my busy time is usually the, the fall through the early part of the winter. Uh, so at this point in time, you know, during the calendar year, I'm a little bit slower at work. So I have a little bit more flexibility to be able to attend some of these events. Uh, and usually the spring is, is a busy time for Grand Lodge sessions. Um, immediately following our session in, in May, we uh, traveled to the Grand Lodge of Rhode Island for their session uh, that Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Um, and then towards the end of that week, I was up at the Grand Lodge of Quebec. Uh, and just this past week, I was in Grand Lodge of Ontario and then headed to the conference, uh, Northeast Conference of Grandmasters directly from there. Uh, certainly has been, you know, a busy time, but like I said, I've, I've been able to balance that from a work perspective at this point. Uh, and my employer has been very supportive. Um, and fortunately I had a fair amount of PTO time built up at the office that I've been able to utilize that to, to get this time off. I don't, I don't want to monopolize any of the questions here, John, Scott, Chris. What you, what, what's burning your uh, your brains here about this? Well, I actually have a question. Because um, you talked a lot about balance, you know, between your duties as Grandmaster and work and whatnot. And I've always wondered, it, and you know, going up through the line, I, I expect it's the same problem as well, but it's magnified as Grandmaster. How do you balance being Grandmaster with your own personal Masonic journey? Or is that just 
become part of it. Uh, you know, as a sitting worshipful master, some of the things that I would like to do as just a mason kind of naturally take a back seat. And I've, trying to imagine myself in your role is just mind boggling to me. Yeah, I, that's a great question. And I think, you know, that personal journey is a balance as well. But, you know, the wonderful thing about um, about this journey is I get to travel not only in state, but out of state, and I get to experience some of those things for, for personal growth that we all get to experience on a regular basis in our lodges as well. Um, you know, I have the opportunity to be able to travel. I was, when I was in Ontario this past week, um, most worshipful brother, Akram Elias, past grandmaster of the Grand Lodge of Washington, DC was there and he was their guest speaker. Um, so I had the opportunity to just kind of sit and, and enjoy, uh, the fellowship and the brotherhood and, and whatever it was that he was presenting, uh, at that particular point in time. Um. So in that regard, I do still have that opportunity to be able to experience and, and help grow and develop and improve myself along the, along that journey. Nice. So um, yeah. you mentioned Chris, the, Chris is trying to speak and he's muted again. I'm muted again. Uh, <laughs> responding to things on some it, of the channels it, and trying not to clack. I apologize. You know, Chris, it wouldn't be a podcast if you didn't do it at least once. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, so you know, one of the things that we were, you know, we have sort of a, a you know, initial session that we, you know, sort of talk a little bit before the podcast. Uh, and one of the things that came up was that uh, you, you, Grandmaster, had never been a, a district officer, uh, a, a distinction shared by uh, Most Worshipful Ken Clay as well. Uh, before being appointed, you were Grand Treasurer uh, yep. for several years. But I was, we were thinking, talking about a little bit your, of your experience, and you were master of your lodge for eight eight terms, if I eight, eight years, I believe, if that was yeah. eight uh, terms, yeah. correct. And you also helped to shepherd your lodge through a merger uh, right before uh, your final, right during your final time uh, in the East, if I remember correctly. Correct. How did, how did that experience? sort of inform you? I mean, if you look back at sort of your experience as master and all of those times in the East and, and sort of going through that process uh, of a merger, which, which as, as we all know, is very, very, can be very challenging, can be somewhat contentious and, and difficult to get through because you have a lot of passionate brothers involved trying to, you know, trying to build something new and something even better. You know, what, how, how did that experience inform, inform, how you how you've become uh and then your role as grandmaster yeah I, I think certainly being you know having to sit as master of my lodge uh eight terms in total um first in 92 then again in 99 and then from 2005 to 2010 uh which is the year in which we merged with with lafayette lodge um it certainly helped i think helped me grow as a mason and understand some of the, you know, the fine workings of, of the fraternity and, and what's involved in some of those leadership roles. And, you know, certainly the merger process, as you noted, can be, can be difficult. Um, and, and in more ways than one, it, it's, it's often emotional. Um, you know, we all 
have a certain affinity and, and attachment to, to our lodge um, and to our members. And, and as a as a longtime member of Bible Lodge number 27, it was and, and having sitting in the east and realizing this is really kind of the end, it was it was challenging for me to just bring it up to the lodge, quite honestly. It, it took me a, a number of months to actually say, okay, we really have to do something about this. Uh, and I think that helped, you know, shape my approach in terms of how I dealt with members, how I dealt with my brothers, um, it, for the better. It, you know, it allowed me the opportunity to be able to, to converse with them in a way that we might not otherwise have had the opportunity to do so uh, because of the difficulties and the challenges associated with the murder. Um, so it, it really, I think, helped shape my some of my leadership skills and abilities um, into what they are today. Now it's Tim's turn to be muted. Normally, I never mute myself, but I've been coughing, so I muted myself, and now I'm pulling a Chris Buds. Oh, God. Um, At least it has a name. That's a good name. Yes, it does. Uh, one of the one of the things we talked about in our prep call, and and you know, I certainly have been thinking about since you headed towards the Grand East, um, is is sort of the legacy you get to leave behind as Grand Master, and obviously that's going to be different for each Grand Master, the things that they do, the decisions that they make, but I think one of the things that you know we talked about specifically was your attendance, and you brought up uh, Akram Elias in the uh, Grand Lodge of D.C. Um, you had an opportunity to go to Washington D.C very uh, early on in your term as Grand Master and represent the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire at a, a 300th anniversary ceremony for Anderson's Constitution. And part of that event was putting yourself and your name on a plaque as the Grand Master of New Hampshire, you know, in, in that time that will sit in the House of the Temple, the, the headquarters for the Scottish Rite uh, Southern Jurisdiction, essentially forever. Um, so what is it that has been going through your head as you think about you know, coming into this role fresh and going straight into these activities. And then, you know, sort of the legacy you get to leave either New Hampshire or leave Masonry as a whole over the course of the next two years as Grand Master. Yeah, that, that, that particular event was certainly not something that was necessarily on my radar. Um, they had been talking about, you know, planning that event for, for a while. Um, and it had been somewhat in conversation, say, in February, March. And honestly, I didn't realize the extent of, of that particular event uh, until I actually got to experience it. Um, so I was able to make the trip from, I, was, I happened to be at the DMLA ISC session in Cincinnati uh, attending that event. And I was able to take a flight on that Friday to go to the House of the Temple for that particular event and, and attend there. And it was a really very special event that I, I you know, will, will remember for for many time, many years to come. We had the opportunity to to sign a, a special proclamation that Most Worshipful Brother Elias had had drafted, uh, and he actually had twenty three, I believe, copies of that particular proclamation, and 
Each one of those copies had been originally signed by His Royal Highness, the Duke of Kent, the Grand Master of, of England. And it was brought over um, by the Program Master. And he was in attendance at this event and each of the Grand Masters that were present, which included all of us from the original 13 colonies, which are really quite special, um, basically walked around a table and originally signed each one of those documents. And we all got to take and originally signed one of those proclamations home with us. And, and it'll be on display in the Grand Lodge office when I have the opportunity to, to finalize its framing. Um, so that particular event was, was certainly something that is very special. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily on my, on my calendar as a, as a big event. Um, but as it got closer, uh, they were really hoping that, you know, the, the, those of us from the 13 colonies, that the actual Grand Masters could be present for that. Uh, and the fact that they had this plaque uh, prepared that is sitting in the dining hall at the House of the Temple with all of our names on it uh, is just incredible. And I look forward to going back someday and, and you know, maybe sharing that with, with my family who weren't able to join me on this trip. I mean, that's, that's impressive that you've been able to, to experience that so early on in, in your term as Grandmaster. And I think, you know, what are obviously bringing your family there and seeing that and having your name there forever is important. But what does that make you think about, you know, when you came home from that event and realized the impact being Grandmaster had, did that change anything about the way you approached the position? Did it change anything about the way you thought about it? No, I, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, each one of us who have the opportunity to, to be in this role um, hope that we can leave a good legacy behind us. Um, and, you know, we also realize that, you know, we're, we're here to serve the brethren of New Hampshire. I mean, that's what you all elected us to do. And I still have a long ways to go to continue to, to work on that. Uh, and I certainly hope that the legacy that I do leave behind is one that will, you know, live on. Um, and help our help our craft here in New Hampshire continue to grow and, and improve. I mean, that's ultimately what we're looking to do. So we've talked. I mean, we've talked now for for nearly you know twenty minutes about what you've done in the last two months, right? You've still got twenty two months of this. Mm -hmm. So what is it that you're looking forward to the most uh, that you know about in the remainder of your term? What are the sort of things that are getting you excited about being Grandmaster? as you progress through this term and, you know, as you look to the future? Yeah, I think, you know, certainly the first couple of months have been designated or to, to really kind of some, a fair amount of out-of-state travel. Uh, I'm certainly looking to forward to getting out um, to our lodges, getting to our lodges of instruction in the fall, um, you know, attending. I've, I had the opportunity certainly in the first few months to uh, perform a number of uh, Masonic veterans programs, and and those are very special. We, we have the opportunity to, to honor some of our, our senior members in the craft um, with Masonic awards. It's it's really a very touching and very special event, and and I am always very honored to be able to do that. Uh, but certainly going forward, um, you know, my term theme is remember who you are and what came you here to do. Um, and I have that acronym for IMPROVE, which is to inspire uh, mentorship, programs, ritual, outreach and communication, value and education. 
Um, and I'm really looking forward. I've got a couple committees working on both membership and mentorship uh, to be able to update our mentor program so that we can, you know, have that available for our lodges to utilize as a tool going forward. Um, our membership committee is active in uh, responding to various inquiries we receive either through the website or through the Not Just a Man, a Mason campaign put on by the uh, Northern Masonic jurisdiction that we're a part of. Um, so they're working very diligently on those. And, uh, you know, the hope is, is that all of that uh, provides value for our lodges and for our members so that they see that the true value of Freemasonry uh, and what we have to offer not only each other as brothers, but those in our society as we move forward. I mean, yeah, it, it sounds like you've got quite a bit uh, to work on over the course of the next 22 months and, and you've got a plan in place. I do not envy your district deputy grandmasters having to remember that acronym. That's why, I built, that's why I built the challenge coin. It makes it easier for them. It, yes, it does. I, I have had a peek at that, and I think that it, it, it does make it helpful. Um, but, you know, you've yeah, got to... it was easy to remember when I was a district officer. Kenny was really short. <laughs> yeah, he was. But I think, the, I, I think the improved plan speaks to a lot of the things that we, we don't always talk about. Mentorship, you know, being an inspiration to your brothers and, and to others of the craft. Like those are things that I think are really important. And Dan, this has been a part of, you know, masonry has been a part of your life since you were a teenager. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we can clearly see in, in you grandmaster, the, the result of being inspired as, as a, whether it's a member of a youth organization, whether it's a, a line officer or a new Mason, sort of how that, you know, those efforts really do pay off. Um, so, you know, I think that's that's great to see. And I'm looking forward to, to seeing how that plays out over the course of the next, you know, several months. Well, I, you know, I had I had a lot of great mentors growing up. Um, you know, being a senior D. Malay, there were a couple of my advisors, uh, Ray Washer brother Peter Stekowicz, uh, was past district deputy grandmaster of district number two, uh, worshipful brother Bud Cape, you know, both of those were certainly great mentors for me in my DMLA days, um, but also in, you know, when I joined the lodge. Um, Worshipful Brother Cape was the Worshipful Master uh, when I was raised a Master Mason in, in 1987. Um, and he, he helped mentor me in my lessons and, and get me through those. Um, and, you know, without their efforts, uh, I wouldn't be where I am today. Uh, it's, and I, there were several others, you know, members of that lodge that really helped me along my way. And uh, I had the opportunity to kind of honor some of them because many of them are no longer with us uh, at my installation. I had uh, I had an empty chair in memory of, of them because uh, I knew that they were with us and, and looking down upon us. And hopefully I was making them proud. So. Along, along those lines, Grandmaster, I did want to ask, too, because you do have such a, a background in the Masonic Youth Organizations, uh, with you, you yourself being a senior Malay, and also with your involvement in Rainbow. And I'm curious to hear from you how those organizations, what organization, how those organizations play a part in, in Masonry, how you envision, you know, sort of 
the contribution that, that those organizations play in the craft and why uh, you know why Mason should should be supporting of of DMLA and Rainbow. I'm, I'm curious on your take on that. Yeah, you know, I mean, and for me, I mean, DMLA certainly kind of laid the foundation for me uh, for for my Masonic career, and and allowed me the opportunity to to get involved in in the Masonic fraternity. Um, and obviously, for for me personally, it has a, a very special meaning because uh, I met my wife through DMLA and Rainbow. I know I've told that story a number of times, um, but certainly my life would be completely different were it not for either of those organizations. Uh, but both of those, you know, both Rainbow and DMLA teach great lessons to the to the young men and women um, that allow them to to help grow and develop during a time of their lives that you know can be difficult. Uh, it teaches valuable lessons for them and and for those of us who have the opportunity to be an advisor. Uh, it really helps us grow as individuals and and hopefully we get to inspire them a little bit and, and help them grow and develop. There's nothing better than, than watching someone who comes into one of those organizations as, as kind of a young, shy you know, boy or girl and watching them grow and develop into confident young men and women who can stand in front of a group of, of you know 300 masons and, and give a speech uh, and not feel uncomfortable doing it um, you know those that's the value of those organizations and and whether they move on and become either masons or eastern star members i don't you know well obviously that would be the potential hope even if they don't decide to go down that path they've been given the tools to be able to succeed in life as they move forward. That's a really great point. So one of the things we talked about earlier, uh, Grandmaster, was your past experience as Grand Treasurer and sort of how you came into the Grand Line having not been a, a district officer. And that also parallels uh, very strongly with your choice for uh, Junior Grand Deacon uh, as you came to the East. Uh, right Worshipful Brother Jim Lawrence served as Grand Treasurer of the Grand Lodge for 10 years? Uh, six years, I believe, as Grand Treasurer and four as Deputy <clears throat> Okay. So he, he's very much now following your path. Um, that's We've talked to past Grand Masters about this, but that decision... Um, who is going to be your junior grand deacon, I think is one of those, the strongest legacies that we end up leaving behind is, is whether it's master choosing, you know, your junior line officers, mm -hmm. or in your case, a much bigger decision choosing your, your junior grand deacon. What sort of thought process did you go through uh, making that decision and evaluating the options that you had and, and really ending up deciding on right worshipful brother Lawrence and, uh, and, you know, what is, what, it, what is the, not just your thought process, but what is it that you're, you're thinking the whole time you're going through the line as you come to make that decision? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and it's not, <clears throat> certainly not a decision that gets made at the last minute by any means. It's, it's, it's one where, you know, you, you have a number of folks on your list that you're kind of watching to, to see how, you know, how they deal with situations um, you know, how they run their lodge, if, if they're in those roles, and how they're running a district, if they're in that particular role. 
And it, it's a decision that really is something that you just build upon over time um, based upon their interactions, uh, not only with yourself, but, but with others and, and what type of leadership skills they, they display, um, how they deal with difficult situations. Uh, that all, that all factors in. Um, I know I, you know, as you noted, I wasn't a, a district officer. Um, but as we've talked about, you know, I've been a Mason for a number of years, so I've been around for a little while. Um, so I've kind of seen how some of those work, uh, some of the inner workings are, um, even though I weren't, I was not specifically in those roles and, and obviously neither was uh, most worship brother clay. Um, but you know, we've had the opportunity and, and certainly right worship brother Lawrence has as well to, to be in other roles where you've been able to assess, uh, their skills and, and, you know, you, you're not looking necessarily while you're looking right now at where they are, you're also thinking about the future because you're going to, you have to really kind of assess where you think they're going to be 10 years from now. And are they going to be, you know, that individual that you thought they were today? Um, but I do think one of the great things about our particular system in New Hampshire is, is it, yes, it's a 10 year progression assuming you you get beyond the junior grand deacon and senior grand deacon part um you know those two positions while they are certainly appointed it gives those individuals an opportunity to kind of show the brethren who they are during that period before they get to an elected position um so it gives hopefully the brethren a chance to to see who those individuals are um how they interact uh, what type of plans they may, you know, put forth as, as they move forward. Um, and because our line is progressive, each of us going through those particular roles gets to see a little piece of the puzzle as we move forward. Um, so we get to fill various roles and we have the opportunity to be able to grow and develop through that process. Uh, so that by the time you do get to, to have the honor of being elected grandmaster, you know, you have a good working knowledge of, of not only Grand Lodge, but kind of the, how things work within, within our state, within our jurisdiction, uh, with the various lodges. I, you know, obviously we're not as large as some other jurisdictions like say Ohio or Pennsylvania. Um, but we're still large enough, but yet small enough where we have the opportunity as we're moving through this progressive line to be able to get out to the lodges so that they can see who we are as individuals. Um, and I think that's one of the great advantages of our, of our particular system. Having gone through the progression that you went through uh, and then, you know, obviously now Jim will be going through that um, do you think there's a, you know, a, a, I don't know how to word what I'm trying to ask here. Do you think there's a value in having that bigger picture that somebody like the grand treasurer may have, um, of the way grand lodge operates as opposed to a district office where a district deputy grand master may only see a fraction of the big picture because he's, he's really focused within his district. 
Do you think that being somebody like a deputy or by a grand treasurer, for example, where you've got probably some of the most behind the scenes insight into Grand Lodge operation, um, do you think that gives you an advantage? Do you think it changes the way you approach the position over somebody who may have served as a district officer? No, I don't think so. I think each one of those roles plays plays an important part in in New Hampshire. Um, and I think as a result, each each one, whether you served as a district deputy grandmaster or a district officer, or in my case, grand treasurer, they provide you different tools and different skills to be able that you bring to the table. Um, and I think the the one of the great things about our particular, you know, line in our system is, is that each one of us that are in those roles all come from different backgrounds. Our Masonic journey was a little bit different. We came to the fraternity potentially for different reasons. And we all bring and we all have, you know, different jobs and responsibilities outside of masonry that we get to draw on and be able to contribute in a way where we can all come to hopefully a, a decision and, and a path forward that that is most beneficial to the craft. Excellent. So, Dan, as, as a uh, just a since you're now at the Grandmaster's chair, you know, if you take and think back to when you were appointed Grand Junior Deacon, what would you say is probably one of the like a misconception or a thought process of what you were expecting when you got to the Grand East versus when you started? Oh, great question. Because um, I know all of us, you know, when we're appointed as junior deacon for a lodge, we think of all these wonderful things when we get to be mastered. It's different. I'm just wondering, you know, what your what was kind of the the impact that you had when you and, you I, I, and I think you know, I think ultimately you you have you we all have these great ideas when we get appointed to these roles, and and sometimes I think we think we can accomplish more than we really can. Um, so you, you kind of has, as you're moving forward, you kind of realize, oh, wait, I can't do all of this that I really want to do. You have to be able to pare it down to something that's actually manageable. Um, and yes, two years is, is a great amount of time for us to be able to hopefully accomplish something, um, but it's still only two years. Um, and there certainly may be things that we had in our, had in our thoughts about what we would like to accomplish that perhaps we need to say, okay, is there somebody else that may want to try to, to work on that if, if that's something you're interested in? Um, so I think that was the, I think the biggest challenge is, and, and just understanding, and for me personally, I will say that being called most worshipful right after I was installed took some adjusting. Um, well, and, I know when I ran into you at, at, at Demon, Demon Lake Conclave, it was it was a start you know start stop moment for me. It's like, well, that's right. It's a different title and it's yeah. worshipful now. And yeah, it's it, it took me a number of weeks to adjust to that, quite honestly. Um, and and you know the first time you bring greetings, you you have to remember that you're not bringing them on behalf of somebody else. You're bringing your own. You know, for for ten years, if I had the opportunity to bring greetings, it was on behalf of you know, the current sitting grandmaster. Um, and now it's migrating. So it's not, it's a little different. Yeah. So grandmaster kind of along the same lines as the question that, that Scott asked you, 
I had the opportunity, which I know a lot of masters or past masters don't necessarily of having been able to go through the entire line on the way up and you stress the importance and the value of the grand line and how it prepares you for the grand east presuming of course that you make it all the way there um i had huge misconceptions as grand uh, as a junior deacon of course like probably most do and figured, you know, by the time I was senior warden, yeah, I had a pretty good idea of what it was like to be master. I had my plans all laid out. I had uh, obviously yeah, much more grandiose plans than I could uh, reasonably accomplish, as probably most masters do. But there were surprises even when I got to the East that, well, as a surprise, obviously I didn't expect. And I'm just wondering, even in the first two months that you've been grandmaster, with all the planning and preparation that you've had over the past 10 years, have there been any surprises yet? Yeah, there, there are always uh, surprises that you don't necessarily anticipate, but the, the nice thing is, is that, you know, through our time in that line, hopefully, and no matter whether it be in a lodge or whether it be at the Grand Lodge level, you've at least, you've had experiences that hopefully have helped shape your decision-making process so that when those surprises do occur, you can deal with them appropriately and, and, and move forward. And, and if you need to, you know, whisper good counsel in a brother's ear, you, you, you know, hopefully have had that experience previously. While it may not have been exactly what you've encountered currently uh, in terms of the, the surprise that you've discovered, um, you, you've had the tools and to be able to help deal with it and, and move forward with it. But yeah, there's always surprises. You you can't plan for everything. Of course not. And any aspects of the position itself where you anticipated something to be either really easy or really difficult, and it ended up being totally the opposite from what you expected? Um, no, not really. Um, I, I think you know, as you know, a lot of folks would would say to my wife, you know, are, are you ready for him not to be home? And she would look at them and say, he's already not home. Um, so, you know, we, we've been planning for, for a number of years for this. And, and I, like, as I said, I, I think that progression really does help you in that regard. Um, because you do at least get, while you might not have the opportunity, say, to, to travel um, as much as you would when you actually get to the, the position of Grandmaster, uh, particularly to, to other jurisdictions, um, we do because each of one of us are, are still working full time, we do take those opportunities to say, okay, I can't go. Deputy Grandmaster, can you go? If not, Senior Grand Warden, can you go? So they have the opportunity. Uh, and much like, much like in a lodge, I would say, I don't think anything actually prepares you for sitting in that grand chair until you're actually there. Um, you know, the first time you have the opportunity to do that as worshipful master in a lodge, it's a different perspective, right? Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. And I will say the same thing sitting in Grand Lodge. You know, when I was installed and, you know, was sitting in that chair, it was a very different perspective, even though I, you know, been right next to him for the last couple of years. You know, being in that central chair and, and you know, being the Grand Master was not surprising but just the perspective changes a little bit 
Okay, Grandmaster, I have what is going to be considered probably the closest thing to a hardball ball question for you. Ready? Okay. All right. So what would you say is the – you've been a Mason for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the most important change or evolution you have seen in the craft during your time as a Mason? And then what do you envision – in your term and going forward is the largest challenge that we face as a craft. Couple things. Um, certainly membership numbers um, have changed dramatically since, since I joined the craft. Um, but I will also tell you that the big thing for me is, you know, when I first joined the, the education that we're experiencing today in New Hampshire um, in terms of what we're providing to the brethren and what we're discussing in our lodges um, was not something that we were discussing on a regular basis back when I joined. Uh, and I think that's been a great change um, for the benefit of the craft. Uh, I think it returns us a little bit to our roots and, and gives us a better understanding of really why we're here and what we're trying to do as Masons. Uh, and going forward, certainly want to be able to maintain that um, but also obviously continue to grow our membership and make sure that, but at the same time, making sure that we're bringing the right men into the craft. That's interesting. It, it made me think about a question that I had on tip of my tongue earlier, but totally forgot. If you ask any brother, what is masonry to them? You'll get a different answer, of course. Absolutely. Um, and being somewhat down the food chain it's easy to have one's own may perhaps rather decided opinion as to what masonry is and and share that being the grand master i would expect you don't really have that luxury you can have your own opinion but you kind of have to be all things to all masons uh how do you deal with that yeah that's a great question john i think i think the important thing is for each of us to realize that this journey is unique to each and every one of us. And we all came to the craft for different reasons. Um, and I think at the, at the Grand Lodge level, we have to be cognizant of that so that whatever programs we are, are putting forth are diverse enough to be able to accommodate as many of those, those needs and, and those you know, why these brethren came to the craft so that they don't feel excluded. You'll have to excuse me, gentlemen. I am coughing up a storm here on you. I was going to ask if you're okay with it. <laughs> I've had this cough for like a week and a half. And as, as the sun starts to go down, my coughing seems to go up. But um, So you're coughing and Chris has got a shirt. I mean, you know. <laughs> Grandmaster, did you did you address the fires in Canada while you were in Ontario? <laughs> I, I did not. They're a little farther north than I was. Yeah. So there was a question um, in the chat amongst the many comments about Chrissy's shirt. I mean, and it, it's a it's a beautiful shirt. It's something. Um, I so, think it is. It Chris, frame it, put it on the wall behind you for all future podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Dan. <laughs> Grandmaster, one of the things that we we, uh, we have talked about is, um, you know, the journey that you've gone on. And have you 
did you ever have any aspirations to be grandmaster? Did you ever expect that this was a seat you were going to occupy at any point? No, not at all. It, it, you know, I was, I was on the, you know, obviously I served as, as master of my lodge for a number of, of years. Um, part of that was out of necessity, quite honestly. Um, but no, this wasn't necessarily something I had specifically aspired to. Um, you know, it's, I've always been, I hope, um, one of service and, you know, to have the opportunity to be able to, to serve the brethren of New Hampshire in this role is really just a great honor. Uh, and I was certainly very honored when most worship brother Aronson asked me if, if I would be his junior grand deacon, um, certainly wasn't a question I was specifically expecting uh and so it took me after my you know m picked up my mouth off the floor um you know i i was honored to say to say yes um and it's been really a, a wonderful journey since then and and i hope i've continued that that role of service uh to the brother and i look forward to continuing that because uh, ultimately that's, you know, we are servant leaders and, and that really is, is the job. So we talked a little bit about your plan. You know, obviously you have your, your improved plan and all the different aspects of that. When you think about, you know, what you want to accomplish as grandmaster, is there any one thing that you really want to say, this is, this is what I've done. This is the stamp that I've left on New Hampshire masonry. Is there anything that stands out amongst all of those things that are in your plan? No, I, I think just in general, and, and this is going to sound cliche, but it, it, for me, it's really true. I, I hope that I leave the craft a, in a better spot than when I found it. Uh, and if I can do that through the various programs um, that I've been trying to implement, I know updating the mentoring program, um, being able to, to serve the brethren in the in the various roles and, and visit the lodges and, and just bring the message as a whole in hopes that you know the brethren have a, a better understanding of who we are as masons you know i had the opportunity at uh, at my installation i had a number of non-masons in the room and i i kind of gave it just a general introduction of who we are and what we stand for uh and I think that went a long way with many of them because they really didn't know. Um, and I had that same opportunity a couple weeks ago uh, at the Masonic funeral service of, of a departed brother from my lodge. Um, Worship brother Ken Burns passed away at the age of 95. And I was able to preside, I was honored to preside over his Masonic service. And aside from those of us from the lodge that were present for the service, Everybody else in the room was a non-Mason. And, you know, as Masons, we all kind of, we understand what Masonry is as, as a whole and what we're here to do and what it provides for us. But we also have to remember that when we leave the doors of the lodge and go out into the community, when we act as we're supposed to act as Masons, we have the opportunity to show the world who we are through those actions. 
and if we have the opportunity to explain a little bit for, farther what we what we actually stand for, for those who don't fully understand it, um, then therein lies our purpose as Masons, and hopefully we can, you know, improve not only our lodges but our our communities as a whole. Any other questions from the uh, the gentleman here on the panel? <clears throat> I think you asked all the good ones, Tim. I I yes. try. He did. Uh, one of the things you're good at that. Thank. Well, you know, there's a reason I got this job. I was just gonna say that's why he's in that role. Um, one of the things that we have not touched on that I want to make sure we we do address is uh, the charity that you and your wife have chosen uh, to represent uh, as Grand Master and. And you've already started fundraising events and, and putting yourself in precarious positions. Uh, <laughs> what, the dunk tank? The dunk tank, yes. Um, but you, you obviously, you've been raising money and, and trying to promote a, a specific charity. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and sort of how you came to that decision and, and how you think that um, that charity and masonry, you know, function together in, in a way that is, is helpful to to both organizations. Yeah, I, I, I cannot take any credit for this. This was this was entirely my wife's idea. Um, you know, she decided that um, you know she didn't want to create uh, like a special pin, uh, as as some ladies have done in the past. Um, and we all have been been touched by cancer. Um, you know, certainly our our family has personally. Uh, we certainly know brethren who who have been touched by it. Um, so it was really an important um, charity for, for my wife to be able to, to say, this is, this is what I want to support. Um, so she's going to do some, some various events during the year. Grandmaster, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Um, we've only talked about the charity. We haven't actually said it yet. Yep. So before was, you yeah, go no. any further, okay. Yep. I just want to make sure we get there before yep. you know, no, we, no, we already talked that. about it. Um, so she has chosen the American Cancer Society. Um, and while it, you know, it's certainly a national organization, uh, it's one that many know. And it's, and it's one that, you know, really does great work in terms of research uh, in helping to, to, to provide hopefully cures for cancers or at least great treatments. Um, and so she she and I actually made a donation to start, um, start off my year to the American Cancer Society on, on her behalf. Um, and then a couple weekends ago, uh, we had the opportunity to participate in a, one of my lodge events and they brought in a dunk tank and I volunteered to, to sit on the seat and my daughter promptly put me in the water uh, apparently I taught her how to throw a softball too well. Um, and, but all of the funds raised for those who, you know, participated in the dunk tank throwing, uh, went to, are going to go to the American Cancer Society. Uh, and then April was planning on hopefully putting together a team, uh, for their, re I think it's their Relay for Life walk, um, that happens in the, I think it's in the spring. And yeah, then usually, yeah. And then she is also trying to coordinate some blood drives with the American Red Cross. Um, she herself has been a, a longtime blood donor. 
Um, I was up until a number of years ago. Uh, so it, you know, being able to, to support that charity and, and, and the American Cancer Society, as well as the Red Cross, who we know provide crucial elements of, of, of blood and blood products to, to those going through treatments. Um, we'll hopefully, you know, hopefully we can make a little bit of a difference in that regard. That, that is excellent. And, and I'm glad to hear that. I, you know, again, we don't often have the opportunity to uh, talk about those things in, in a larger format or in a place like this. And Grandmaster, I'd like to thank you for joining us this evening. One of the things, uh, at least four out of the five of us know what it's like to walk into a lodge with a purple apron on. And especially when those lodges may not see you all that often. The other one knows what it's like to be sitting in the East when the purple aprons walk in or in his case, when all the past grand masters walk into his lodge, uh, <laughs> the center of New Hampshire masonry over there. Um, but being able to understand who you are as an individual, being able to understand the thought processes that you have as, as grandmaster going through that, that process, I think really helps. Uh, I don't want to say humanize the position because, uh, you know, obviously you are, you're just a brother. You just happen to serve the lo the, the lodge in a higher capacity. But I think that this has been a great opportunity to kind of understand a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes that most brothers don't get to experience. Um, you commented earlier that New Hampshire is a very fortunate jurisdiction because of the interaction we get to have with our grandmaster. Um, and, you know, obviously having gone to our Grand Lodge meetings and being a Grand Lodge officer, I've, I've met grandmasters from all over the Northeast, but there are members of the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts who will never meet their grandmaster. Um, because of how big that state is and, and how hard it is to get around. And, and that's not even one of the, the biggest jurisdictions. So the fact that you're able to get to all those lodges and meet with people in every district and, and, and present your message personally is important. But I think the other side of that is what we're doing here and really seeing how you uh, have gone through the process and, and understanding it. So thank you for joining us this evening. Um, before we, uh, we sign off, is there any final words you'd like to share? Is there anything you'd like to add uh, about anything that we've talked about? Um, nothing in particular. I will just say that, um, you know, I'm very thankful for the support of my wife and my family. Um, you know, and, and my wife's been on this journey with me since, you know, she asked me to do the Demolay Flower Talk at her installation as worthy advisor back in 1982. Um, so we've kind of grown on this together, but she keeps me grounded, which is great. She reminds me I put my pants on one leg at a time like everybody else. Um, so it's it's been a great journey, and I look forward to continuing to serve the, the Masons of New Hampshire for the next, hopefully, 22 months. Well, we look forward to uh, to seeing your progress as Grand Master, and, and maybe before you're done, we'll have a, a, a talk again to, to talk about what it was like and sort of look back on great. where you are today versus where you will be, because I think that uh, this has been a unique opportunity, and, and Chris, uh, you were very instrumental in making this happen, uh, getting this all arranged, so we appreciate that. And thank you to our audience for joining us. Um, Chris's shirt is available at Old Navy, uh, $15.99. <laughs> um, there's one here in Merrimack at the outlets. You can stop in Nashville. This Old Navy's all over the place. If anybody wants to get that same shirt, um, we may all be wearing it next month. We'll see. Uh, and it's a great idea. Speaking of next month. I'm, I'm ordering them already. <laughs> we'll be back on August 27th. Same time, same channel. So please join us then for our next episode of the podcast. And 
uh, before Scott yells at me. If you have any thoughts, comments, concerns, or questions, please feel free to email us at granitecornerstone at nhgrandlodge.org. We are more than happy to hear from our audience. And uh, we look forward to seeing you all again next month. Thank you all. And thank you, Grandmaster, again for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me.